episode of the Boone Podcast. My name is Bill McKay. Today we're talking to Dakota Younger, founder and CEO of Boone. Uh, we'll be discussing the psychology of referral programs and what makes them tick. If you have any ideas for topics or guests that you'd like to see on the Boone Podcast, please let us know. You can do that at blog.goboon.co or just send us a line on Twitter. All right, and now the episode. All right. Well, we're here with Dakota Younger. Um, yeah, I mean, today we want to talk about the psychology of referrals and, and kind of the driving forces behind what makes the referral program tick. Um, and I know, you know, we get a lot of questions about this and, and there seems to be kind of a, a fission in how people think about referral programs, right? Like a lot of people obsess over the technology and, uh, you know, there's also a huge human element to this that I think can go underlooked a lot of times. Um, so I guess to start, I think a lot of people don't really know, you know, your origin story, like what, like what got you into, you know, building technologies for referral programs. Could you uh, give the, the, the lowdown on how you got here? Yeah. So essentially, um, I started out doing, um, recruitment. So I got pulled into it. I was doing like door to door sales for UPS essentially, but then got called up and um, you know asked if I wanted to do recruitment, and I was like, "Does that have anything to do with walking the streets of downtown LA?" Um, and they were like, "No." I was like, "Well, then I'll do it." Uh, so started doing recruitment, and you know, pretty early on, started seeing that it was really lucrative, but at the same time, kind of antiquated. And but I didn't have enough information to figure out what the solution was, so I just. That was something that was always on the top of my mind. That was like how archaic it kind of sound, seemed. Um, and then, um, yeah, started my own recruitment firm. And then started toying with more with how referrals could be leveraged to improve the hiring process or the recruitment process and both speed it up and make it more cost effective. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where Boom got started was just an internal tool to help improve our hiring abilities and our ability to find talent quickly for our, our customers. Um, because, you know, that can be the difference between getting paid and not getting paid or getting paid, you know, a decent amount and, and getting barely anything. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's really a numbers game. So this, the referrals we started noticing improved the numbers in our favor pretty significantly to the point where it was like 85% of all of our hires were coming through some form of referral that we had gotten through our candidates rather than us having to source it directly. So that's kind of how. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I think there seems to be a, a concept of like simplicity or it seems that everyone thinks the referrals are, you know, such a easy thing to do. Um, but I mean, from, from all the conversations that we've had, and if you look at any statistics around this, it's clearly not just providing an the ability for someone to send a referral. There's, there's a lot of elements at play here. Um, so I guess like, what are in your mind, like what are some of the, what are some of the biggest elements of, of what actually makes for a good referral program? 
Um, I think there's a few things. Uh, you have to be engaged with your audience. So, um, and that doesn't mean just um, offering them a bounty. So, like starting out, I think that there's it has to be a dynamic uh, incentive structure or engagement structure that doesn't rely just on like a monetary benefit to somebody. Um, I think that's critical because at some point money loses its value. And if you think about what motivates you on a day-to-day basis, um, it's not always money. I mean, everyone has their varying degrees of what motivates them or how much monetary uh, benefit motivates them. But um, that's not the only thing. And especially as you start getting more money or you start, you know, acquiring more capital, you know, it takes more capital to have the same impact. So, um, I think that's that's something is that you really have to think about your you know your tar- your audience and how it, what motivates them to to behave certain ways or do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. I think that um, another element is that there has to be an easy way for them to be able to send referrals. So if somebody's going to send a referral to you or do really anything, the path of least resistance is going to be the, the more often not the, the way they go. So if it's just too difficult to do what you're asking them to do, um, or if it's really so, if it's really difficult, you know what I mean. Like uh, there's there's a there's a you know the more difficult something is, then um, then what you need to have is uh, it has to be a, a greater reward to overcome that. You know what I mean. So if something is this hard, you have to have like a, and I don't know what the exact number is, but you know what I mean? Like there has to be a, a higher amount of, of reward than the difficulty. You know what I mean? So as the difficulty increases, if you're especially, and this is where if you're based on money, you're dealing with a lot more, uh, you know, you're constantly having to pay more. But if you can make it a lot easier, then you can drop, you know, the monetary, the cost for yourself down. Does that make sense? So that's um, one of the other things that I think is critical as it's really simple. And then the other thing is uh, that we found is that it has to be super easy to track or monitor um, what happens after somebody's sense of referral. Um, because if they're going to take the time and effort, even if it's really easy, then they need to know that somebody else is once seeing it and that responds to it and their time is wasted. Otherwise, it just goes into the abyss and they never hear back or they only hear back when there's a success, um, you're losing all those connections and the opportunity to at least let them know, hey, we appreciate it, you're, you know, we saw this, that type of thing. And so those are some of the critical elements of, of a successful referral program, or I think the keystones, the pillars of, of something that's going to be successful, those have to be there in some form or another. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and one of these things that, um, I mean, I think you've, you've kind of coined the term referral gap um, so could you kind of just explain to the audience, like, what exactly do you mean by that? Um, are you talking about like the, uh, gap between, uh, like why people send referrals and I mean, like companies wanting a referral and, and not getting one or what are you talking about about the referral gap exactly? Uh, the referral gap meaning the, uh, like how many employees or it's like the number of employers who rate referrals as the number one source. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're talking about referral gap in that sense, yeah, the referral gap essentially is uh, you're looking at, um, let's say, 22% of all companies right now rate referrals as, uh, or 
sorry, 88% of all companies right now in 2016 rated referrals as like the number one resource for quality hires. But if you look at the amount of hires that actually happened from referrals in 2016, it's only about 22%. So you're, you're looking, you know, a pretty significant gap there. And so the big question is like, why is that the case? Like we have identified that referrals are, you know, obviously a superior route. I, I don't know anyone that's really arguing that fact. I think it's pretty obvious. But so if it's so obvious that this is the best route to go, why aren't we doing it? You know, why aren't we leveraging referrals more? Why aren't why are more companies getting referrals, uh, hot referral hires? And you could just say, well, it's it, the reason it's so good is that it is difficult, or it, you know, it can't. It's like a diamond in the rough. It's, it's something that can't man. That's not. That doesn't make any sense if you really think about it. Like, why referrals are good and successful and beneficial is nothing to do with its difficulty, you know, or their, its ability to to, um, I guess, um, recreate or to harness, right? Has nothing to do with, you know, that doesn't factor in into a referrals effectiveness. It's uh, the reasons why referrals are beneficial. There's a bunch of them, but it's it's because it's coming from somebody that is taking the time to send, you know, the referral that knows the person they know uh, or knows the person that they're sending the referral to. It's that they know also the party that's receiving it you know, they're taking in a lot of other factors that, you know, that just looking at it from like a cold perspective, like someone from the outside can't see some of these finer details, mm -hmm. all that stuff. And none of that has anything to do with the fact that, you know, companies aren't leveraging it more. The real reason companies aren't leveraging referrals more, in my opinion, is that it's difficult for them to, to, to figure out how to get them to work because they can't seem to motivate their staff to do it. And I think that the primary reasons for that is again, they're missing, they're likely missing at least one of the critical pillars, those three pillars of has to be easy to send a referral, has to be easy to track a referral, and the engagement or incentive structures have to be dynamic. They're missing one of those three, sometimes all of them. And so then of course they're they're you know they're not gonna be getting the results that they would want, or it doesn't seem like a quality investment to put their time and money into something like that, um, because they're putting it in the wrong way. You know what I mean? Um, so that's is that kind of answer the question? I know it's kind of long way. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean I think there's there is definitely this I mean, when we talk to most people about referral programs and like technologies that that help them uh, I mean, the common vein amongst everyone is kind of everyone talks about matching algorithms, right? It seems to be what everyone thinks might be the silver bullet and kind of helping uh, develop a strong referral program. But yeah, um, I mean, wh what's your opinion on that? I mean, I think matching algorithms are great. I think, I mean, we uh, leverage them and I am very interested in learning about, how, you know, exploring more and how big data can be used to improve, you know, matching and identifying the, you know, someone that might be a good fit. But at the end of the day, that's, I don't think that we're at a stage right now where we're going to be able to recreate human intuition via technology. And so if you really look at what, you know, the matching algorithms are doing is it, it's designed to make it easier to send referrals and identify referrals. So if you look at it from that perspective, it assists with one of the three pillars, but it doesn't, you know, it's not 
a blanket solution because it doesn't address the other, you know, two pillars in terms of allowing people to easily track it and it doesn't necessarily engage people and incentivize them. Making it easier isn't necessarily an incentive. You know, what I mean that just it's a it's it removes a deterrent. It's not a you know it, it kind of like helps reduce a negative impact rather than providing a, a significant positive impact. So anyone that thinks that again like the, the matching algorithms are gonna like be the, the key to everything. I mean, things can be super easy, but you still don't do them. I mean, I sometimes don't get off the couch, even though I really have to pee or I'm really thirsty just because I'm late. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's just how it works. Uh, so you could, you know, you need to have something, but at the same time, you can have something that's really difficult and that is really challenging, but because it's engaging, people still do it. You know what I mean? So it's, it's not, it, that's my, that would be my, you know, argument right there is that you have to, again, think about it from the fact that you're dealing with people here and that what motivates them isn't, uh, you know, just making it super easy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think there's, there's a sweet spot between, uh, you know, how much, how much matching algorithms and just, you know, technology can, can do, but there's, there's this other half of it that it, that is completely tied to human intuition and just humans understanding humans. Um, and I think a marriage of those two things done in the right way can have like a really synergistic effect, but just, just completely leaning on one of the others is, is not going to get you far. So it's not a one plus one equals two thing. I think it's one plus one equals, you know, six. So here's the thing in like life, like, Okay, how many things, how many problems have been contributed to a single, a single issue? Like, I'm not talking about the straw that broke the camel's back, but I'm talking about like when something goes wrong, it's like always what they call like a perfect storm. It's a, you know, a series of unfortunate events happening to, in synergy and creating something bad. Same thing with a lot of positive things. Like when you see someone, you know, Usain Bolt cross the finish line, yeah, that's skills and natural abilities, but he works his ass off. You know what I mean? Like it's a compounding effect that gets him to that success. And so if anyone tries to approach a problem and thinks that it's going to be a silver bullet, like I've experienced very few, maybe none uh, silver bullet. And I'm not saying I'm, you know, just because I haven't, it's not possible, but in life I would challenge anyone to say it's this one single thing fixed everything or this one single thing caused this one problem. So when you're approaching a problem, you have to, in my opinion, think about, okay, there's not going to be a single answer for this. There's going to be a series of answers that put the odds back in my favor rather than, you know, being against the wind here. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I want to jump to like another tangential topic, but it, I think super related. Um, I want to talk about like social, <laughs> um, Social recognition, right? I mean, I think social recognition, just peer recognition is a huge part of, you know, it's, it's a huge part of like making a referral program function, right? Yeah. So in my opinion, anyway, so I mean, I guess what, what are your thoughts on that? What, what role does social recognition have to play in a successful referral program? Um, so I think that varies. Like the answer to that is again, not a blanket answer because I think it depends on the type of uh, company culture as a whole, the type of team culture, uh, the individuals, like, you know, there's layers of it. So that's what you have to consider. If you're dealing with a, a very sales oriented organization, salespeople on average tend to be pretty competitive. So the, the whole organization is pretty thick with 
sales type of individuals, then I think peer recognition and competition is going to do very well. But if you're dealing with a group that may not be as competitive and may enjoy collaboration or may enjoy uh, personal growth or whatever it might be, those other factors won't be as successful. And so that's where, I mean, think about it this way. Um, not only is it those company ecosystems, but you know, some companies when they, they have something that works in, let's say America, and then they try to take it to uh, another country, they have to shift the way they market and they advertise. It's the same type of thing. It's, it, it, they're changing and having to adjust the way that they're engaging with their audience based on their audience's perceptions and motivations, right? So one culture may be more into competition and what, what it might, you know, those type of elements. But as a whole, uh, another culture may be, again, more um, passive and more collaborative. So you got to, you know, you've got, going back to my, my whiteboard, like you have all these factors, like, you know, you have your, you know, your, your culture, your, you know, your, I guess, uh, national culture or whatever it might be, your larger ecosystem, and then you have, you know, your regional. So if this is like nation, you know, then you have your region. So let's say, for example, uh, when we were doing sales, the southern sales guys were always, um, were never like really uh, killing it in the sales presentations for like the performance reviews at like conference and stuff like that because they were oftentimes slower and they were, you know, they're, they're, uh, they seem to be more conversational rather than this like precision sales style, style that, that a lot of us other salespeople had. But they were still really good when you looked at their general yearly performance. And the reason is because if you would have sent, you know, this shark from the east or west coast into Alabama or Texas or something like that, where they're into this more authentic engagement, mm. they might have gotten, you know, like, to quit, treat me like, you know, a city slicker or whatever it might be. So these guys were good for their character. So, like, that's a good example for regional. And then you have, you know, other layers, whatever they might be, whether it's like, you know, the company culture. And then you have, like I said, you might have even like the team culture, you know, and then you have just the individual themselves, right? So all these things may be, you know, this this might be heavy into, you know, the sales, the general, you know, or competition, with that, you know what I mean? But the other parts might not be. And so you have all these different things like, again, compounding to, to have more than one, you know, impacting, you know, factor or, or, or contributing factor into the success. And I think that, again, so if you're going to, if you're going to design an effective system, it has to be able to engage with people on more than one level because, you know, going into some other analogy, I'm not sure if this one even makes that much sense, but like, you know, when you have ever like smelled something, put on a cologne and then it seems like 10 minutes later, you don't smell it anymore. It's because... Uh, not only is it cologne probably diminished a little bit, but your smell receptors lose the ability to like, you know, to tell your brain that they're smelling anything. And so it's no longer effective. This is right. the same time. You've got to have a few different flavors in there to keep it, uh, or to keep someone responsive. Yeah, totally. And do you think, I mean, how does gamification play into that? I think gamification is, is just one of, is, is another one of those factors. You have, you know, competition, Gamification, number one, is thrown around a bit too much. I think a lot of people get like nauseous when they hear it. Yeah. But, and I, I can understand why, but if you think about it in the sense of like just engagement, you know, uh, 
of, of, of like a catch-all for a way of engaging people. And I think if it's done effectively and with more um, authenticity and uh, consideration, that it's really cool to see. You know, it's when you see it, the, the, the commercialized, cheap, knockoff version of uh, gamification that we're all like, ugh. But I think if you were to do that with just about anything, it'd be like, that sucks, you know? Um, but um, yeah, so I think for gamification, that includes, you know, um, the, that can include recognition actually, but that can also be, you know, competition that can be reward. Like I said, gamification is, is really just um, figuring out what motivates people and then designing systems to push that button. You know what I mean? Like figuring out what your buttons are and then figuring out a variety of systems that push those buttons, you know, in a way that in a sequence that seems to be effective for that audience. Totally. Yeah. And I actually wonder how much, how much that comes into play. I mean, I think there's a, there's an overarching trend here of uh, more and more people working from home, more teams being distributed amongst many regions, uh, organizations being larger and larger. And I, I, I think gamification becomes a bigger deal when you're dealing with, with structures like that, because it's, it's hard to, it's hard to have social recognition when people are kind of all over the place, right? So you, you need kind of a place to visualize, you know, who is, who is performing well, like who is sending referrals, who's doing the best of these types of things. Uh, and if you're not all sitting in the same space, it might be difficult to, to really, you know, reward the right people or like have, uh, you know, you know, give praise to someone in front of an entire group, something like that. Yeah, I think that's right. But also I think that like, for gamification, if if you have an organization and, and you have all this data that you're trying to review and look at and dig deep into and, and determine like, you know, correlating factors, sifting through that data just in an Excel sheet is not interesting. You know, so it's part of gamification is also is in that when I mentioned like figuring out those buttons, that's looking at data. That's how you're figuring that out. But it's using data and presenting it in a way that is not boring and that allows people to learn. Right. You know, like, but again, if you were to sit people down and like, let's learn. Some people might be excited again because of, because of crazy, in my opinion, but um, you know, but because of what motivates them, but other people, you know, if you said, let's learn, they're going to be like, mm, I'm not into this. But if you don't present it as let's learn, if you present it as let's compete or if you compete, you know, position as let's make money or let's get stuff, you know, that's where it changes and they're going to learn. That's just what people do to figure out the best way to get that. You know what I mean? And so I think that's part of the gamification process as well as it's presenting data and allowing people and, and finding ways to motivate people to, to want to absorb that data, review that data, absorb it. And the more passive I think you can be about that, the more successful you'll be because you know, again, I don't see a lot of people taking time out of their day to deliberately try to learn something unless it benefits them or, or engages them in some way. Totally. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, you touched on this already a little bit, um, but as far as, I mean, for a referral program to function well, there needs to be a level of trust, I think, between all different parties, right? Um, and that comes from a lot of different things. I've seen this kind of eroded in, in certain programs where, Maybe a company kind of 
they suck at getting payments out on time. So you, you, you as an employee busted your ass, you got someone in the job and then you're sitting there six months later and you're like, I still haven't been rewarded for the effort I put in to get an employee in here. So, I mean, then you also have, you know, trust between, um, the employee and the person that referred the candidate and the company. There's, there's just kind of like this, this, uh, love triangle of, of, of trust that needs to be, that really needs to hold integrity for, for a program to work well. Um, yeah. so, I mean, I guess one, just what do you, what are your thoughts on that, that entire process and what are your ideas on how to maintain that trust across all parties? Well, I mean, I think, yeah, obviously there needs to be trust and you need to do your best to maintain that trust. So having, you know, systems in place that, like I said, not allow, not only allow someone to track, that's part of what that, where that tracking comes in is allowing people visibility to see. So when there's transparency, uh, it's easy to have trust because you're able to see everything. Nobody's trying to hide and be secretive. They're able to see, you know, that somebody, again, somebody viewing what they're, the, the results of their, their efforts, uh, somebody's taking time to at least respond or do something along those lines. So that's, I think there's, again, when you want to achieve trust or if you want to achieve, you know, uh, some sort of partnership, it's going to be, it's not going to be built overnight. It's going to be a variety of things. So I think that helps um, having obviously some sort of payment system that allows for, again, simpler, the simpler, the easier, the, the more likely it is to happen. Um, so having something that already makes it really easy to, to get your payments out, um, is, is some pretty good at the end of the day, going back to the gamification, like when you are engaging with a group of people continuously, you're building a relationship and you're building rapport. And what that's good for is not to count on, you know, errors happening, but that life happens, you know, someone eventually is going to mess up in payroll or, or payments or whatever it might be. And someone might not get paid right on time. You know, that's just how it works. But if you have a rapport and you have, um, and you're showing that you're making obviously a diligent effort to, you know, to be transparent throughout the, the, the entire process, it makes it the, the impact of a mess up or a slip up, whatever it might be a lot more less, impactful you know people are more likely to, to overlook it but if they don't have an opportunity to engage with you and there's no interactions no relationship there to begin with you don't have a lot of um cover you know to to dampen the blow of that error um so i think that's that's one of the the again kind of going back to why it's important to engage with your staff and engage with an audience is that when there are errors because that happens uh, you have a stronger support uh, system to, to kind of diffuse some of that, that uh, repercussions. And then the goal, obviously, is to have a, a way to quickly remedy the situation and avoid the situations as much as possible. But I think that's something that's important to recognize as well. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Um, I guess like that totally makes sense. I'm wondering how can technology and just tools help you know help mistakes happen less uh and what what types of tools can you think of or or you know what are some modern ways that we could kind of cut into that that error rate and improve the trust across these groups so um well 
Yeah, that's a good question. Okay, so outside of tools that allow, you know, ability to track or see into what happens after someone makes a referral, there's that. But also, um, I think having some transparency in terms of uh, who someone's working with. So if, if, you know, the tracking helps to make sure that the company is reviewing the candidates and that they're going to be paying that, you know, people once um, someone's been hired, there's also the, if you're dealing with a recruiter or someone that's providing referrals, um, especially if that person doesn't work within the company, um, you know, having some sort of data or information to be able to see, okay, what type of uh, track record does this person have? What type of, uh, you know, um, relationships do they have? And who, when they've worked with in the past, you know, how are those relationships today? Um, you know, that type of stuff. And I think that's one thing that's really missing right now, especially in the recruitment world is that it's difficult to know if a company's looking to, you know, connect with 20 really great recruiters. Um, I mean, it's not even Google really great recruiter. And even if you could, like the chance of like all the people coming up are actually being really great recruiters is, is really, really small. So um, I think having something that, that keeps people accountable and, makes it really easy, one, for people to find those. You know, you have that data out there for people to be able to, to connect with. But it also, because there's accountability, it holds people accountable. It makes them so that they, you know, realize that this, their behavior and their actions are visible to the world and makes them, you know, want to, if not for their own moral compass or whatever, um, because they don't want to be damaging their, you know, their reputation and whatnot. But if you don't have any system that allows people to see that, then that gray area is going to be exploited by people, which it is right now. I think that's one of the reasons why recruiters get, especially in like the tech industry, have a really bad name is because you have a few that do a really great job and really take pride in their work and spend a lot of time building relationships. But then you also have spam artists out there that are just out to run the numbers and really frankly don't care about how many people they you know, are bothering on a daily basis and continually, to, you know, bothering because who's going to catch them and who's going to know, really, you know what I mean? Yeah. You burn that bridge, you can go burn some more bridges. Nobody's ever going to know that you're a serial arsonist. <laughs> <laughs> so we've covered quite a few pieces of kind of the, the psychology of, of what's backing a referral program. We've, we've talked about social recognition. We've talked about trust. We've talked about, like, just simplicity and that kind of that necessary hurdle uh, to get over for someone to actually take action. Um, are there any other types of like any other psychological pieces you can think of that are, are key to uh, a successful referral program? Well, um, I think the psycho psychological element of understanding a company or, you know, an organization um, and the people within it, being able to understand them having that insight. I mean, I think that's what makes, um, you know, again, going back to what makes referrals tick, it's that psychological element of somebody understanding those nuances, whether it's, um, you know, really, um, you know, um, I guess proactive people are really engaging. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, for somebody that's, um, Outspoken, basically. You know what I mean? Someone that's clown. Actually, uh, actually, no. <laughs> sure. Uh, 
Did you say clown or class clown? Uh, clown, just clown. Yeah, no, I mean they are they are engaging in a creepy way, but uh, yeah, like someone that's an extrovert, if that's like the company organization, you know, kind of like part of the makeup, or if let's say people that really like sports stuff or really athletic, or whatever those little like you know factors that make someone a good fit. I mean, it's not like a company isn't gonna hire someone because they well, some gaming companies don't hire you if you don't play enough games, right. but that's a so that's a kind of example, but. You know, even if it's not that extreme, it's those little nuances that people are able to understand that, you know, like I said, like technology doesn't. I think that's part of the psychology as well as like allowing people to do what they do best, right. which is read other people. I mean, they're not perfect, but they're definitely much better than, than a machine. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the most abstract thing, right, is the, the culture fit, right? So, I mean, I mean, how far do you think we'll ever be at a place where where we'll be having tools help us with identifying culture fit, or is that just like yeah, there's, there's tons of them out there already that like you know that, that try to gauge someone's personality, and I think that those are helpful um, and can again be used to help bridge the gap. But at the end of the day, I I mean people even if it was a suitable replacement, people don't want to interact just with technology. That's the other thing is that like, even if you can build, even if you were able to build a perfect solely technologically based hiring process, you would not, I still think you would have a huge hurdle in the fact that like nobody wants to feel like a cog in a machine. They want to interact with people because they're part of joining an organization is not just, you know, the pay or, how close it is to your house or whatever it might be. It's also the people you're going to be interacting with on a daily basis. Um, and so part of the interview process and the onboarding process is getting a flavor of that before you jump in. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think that certainly there's ways to improve and get a better gauge. Um, but I don't think it's, it, it's a, it would be a smart move to completely remove the human element there. I think you'd be, removing uh, an asset and there's a lot of other problems to be fixing uh you know in the meantime rather than trying to remove one of the critical assets you have to the hiring process uh with something that's like you know all right yeah absolutely. absolutely yeah all right man well i know you're crazy busy so i won't keep you for uh for too much longer but uh i think we covered a lot of ground here yeah, no, and uh, like you know, this is like my favorite thing to do. So, I mean, I was literally looking at uh, mind maps uh, <laughs> before this. So, I'm not shocked uh, by that. Yeah, <laughs> mind-numbing mind maps, which I was thinking about starting a band, something like that. So, if you're, <laughs> you know, yeah, in all your spare time, I'm sure you. Yeah, yeah, I'll be the lighting broker or something on stage. <laughs> <laughs> all right, dude. Uh, I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Later. Yeah.